Good morning. I am Luciana Panuzzi. I was the villainess in the Thunderbolt with James Bond. And you are listening to Honor Majesty's Podcast. $267,000. I'll settle for one dance with Domino. Can you play any other tune? Something we're making for the Americans. It's called a ghetto blaster. May I cut in? Again, Sam. It's a charming tune. Welcome back to the tenth episode of Bond Music Six of the Best, our ongoing series discussing the Bond movie soundtracks. We finally got jason out of here the smell is still here a little bit but jason's gone it's just back to me and my best friend of all time is mr alan j porter welcome back to the show alan thank you jared good we can talk trash about jason now and he'll never hear this that's right that's right it's a completely private conversation <laughs> now we enjoyed having jason on last episode but it's back to me and alan so welcome back to six of the best if this is your first time joining us i want to just say welcome and let you know what you're in for we're going to discuss this movie's main theme song. I wonder what movie it is. That's no, a mystery. We'll get to it. We're going to discuss this movie's main theme song. And on each show, we alternate who takes the lead. This time, I have the lead. So after we're done discussing the main theme song and the score overall, I will pick three of my favorite tracks from the score. Then Alan will pick three of his favorite tracks from the score. And then we'll wind it all up with a bonus track. So even though it's called Six of the Best, you're going to get eight tracks at no extra charge. Wow. What a bargain. I- Right? (laughs) So there you have it. As you probably noticed when you downloaded this episode this month, the only law is Sanchez's law. So let's head south of the border for License to Kill. Let or silver, let or silver. Now, as always, we are indebted to John Burlingame's excellent book, The Music of Bond. It's a primary resource that we use on the show. We encourage everyone to purchase it. I've got a copy. Oh, you were expecting me to say I've got a copy too, did you? (laughs) (laughs) Alan's got a copy. Yes, I do have a copy. He is correct. Everybody should have a copy. So let's get into it. Let's talk a little bit about License to Kill and the overall theme song. And and Alan, before we even get started, it's my favorite James Bond theme song, period. Period. Really? It is. It's my number one. Okay. I love it. I don't care what anybody else says. No accounting for taste, but I knew that already. So. How dare you, sir? Oh, my goodness. All right, it's going to be a fun episode. Anyway, let's talk about it. Let's jump into the score. This one is different. It's a little unique. This time around, MGM and United Artists exercised greater control over the music. It used to just kind of be up to the Broccoli's and whoever they had doing their score, which was usually John Barry. But this time, MGM and United Artists brought in a guy named Joel Sill to be the overall music advisor on the film for the production company. And that was a little different. 
it actually, I think, went surprisingly well overall. At first, I think everybody was like, what is the deal with this guy coming in here? But overall, things seem to go okay, although not without their hiccups, and we're going to get into those. As you guys probably know, Michael Kamen was brought in to score this film, and he was made famous from his work on Lethal Weapon and Die Hard. And speaking of Die Hard, Die Hard fans of the show will know that way back in the early episodes, we got a lot of that guitar riff, you know, that first, you know, that very famous, that's Vic Flick, right? And Raymond introduced us to that way back. Well, guess who's back? Guess who's back, Alan? Mr. Flick, and you can hear it. Yes, Vic Flick returns for the first time to the Bond franchise since the 1960s. So, I don't know, welcome return for me. I assumed it was a welcome return for you as well, Alan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, interestingly enough, Michael Kamen and Timothy Dalton actually became friends during the production. Dalton attended some of the actual recording sessions. Not a lot of Bond actors show up to the recording sessions, but Dalton and Kamen struck up a friendship, so he did, and that was kind of interesting. They knew from the get-go that they wanted two songs, a title song and an end title song. And I know I'm dipping a little bit in the title song here, but I don't know where else to put it. Anyway, <laughs> they wanted to, and their choice for the second song, sort of the end title song, was Annie Lennox. And I think she got a great sound for a Bond song. I think that'd be wonderful. But she did not make it past the shark scene. <laughs> yeah, I read that. Yeah, she was a bit put off by the uh, the Felix Lighter Snack scene. Yeah. Yes, she was. She was a little put off by the violence of that scene and decided to take a pass on this film. Still, they wanted two strong female performers to book into the movie. And so they ended up getting Gladys Knight and Patti LaBelle. And what's interesting about the two songs is that they had completely different productions, different teams working on them, both with the same target of being the Bond song, knowing full well that Gladys was going to be the opener and Patti LaBelle was going to be the closer. But interestingly enough, even though MGMUA is exercising this more centralized control, they sort of decentralize the actual execution of the music. Some interesting results we can talk about as we move into that. For example, Gladys Knight's team never actually viewed the film. They made that song just off of title alone and sort of wanted an old school Bond vibe. We'll talk about how that affects it here in a minute. Patti LaBelle's team, however, did watch the film and made the song If You Ask Me To, based off that famous line from the movie, Why Don't You Wait Till You're Asked, and so forth and so on. Original score recording didn't go so well as Michael Kamen came in with his brand new, very expensive keyboard unit. And apparently it wasn't outfitted for European voltage. <laughs> Somebody hooked it up for him. And I think it's, it didn't say it literally exploded. <laughs> yeah, there's an interesting effect when you plug 110 volt American equipment into a British 220 volt. Uh, I've done that. Yeah, it makes an interesting little mushroom cloud. <laughs> and a unique smell, I'm certain. Yeah. <laughs> So he was a little upset that his brand new keyboard got busted. But after that, things kind of got under control, started rolling, and things went pretty well. Cayman ends up scoring 76 minutes of music for the film. Actually, he did 92 total minutes of music, but 76 got used. So that's sort of a broad brush of the overall recording. What do you think about this score overall, Alan? What are your initial thoughts? Well, actually, I want to go back to one thing that you did not mention, where well, you sort of half mentioned it, Vic Flick. I was reading in the excellent John Birmingham's book, which I do have a copy of, that there was a very early recording session with Cayman had an idea, and he did a session with Vic Flick and Eric Clapton. Mm-hmm. That's the next bullet point as we move on. Uh, okay. <laughs> roll it. Yeah, roll it. but basically, they had this jam session to 
try and figure out a theme for a Bond song. Um, mm-hmm. There was I've forgotten who the third player was. I'm terrible of me because I don't have the book in front of me. I want but, to say it was just Cayman Clapton and, and then, Flip. And I thought, yeah, and I thought there was a fourth person. Oh, but, any, but anyway, to my mind, just the idea of. Vic Flick and Eric Clapton in a jam session. And apparently it didn't, depending on who you talk to, it sort of either went well or didn't go well. But it was, at the end of the day, it was decided that it wasn't going to be used. And the track has never been released or heard. And I would love to hear a Vic Flick, Eric Clapton jam. I don't care if they didn't come out with a good through line. Cayman says they did, but I would just love to hear the results of a Vic Flick, Eric Clapton collaboration jam session, even if it's just the two of them going at it for five minutes or so. What an Definitely. awesome, awesome yeah. session that must have been. Oh, yeah. And, and then I, there was something about Clapton not getting paid or something because they didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. We'll have to get Eric on the show for that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to say Eric Clapton had collaborated with Cayman on one of the Lethal Weapon films. Yeah, I think he did. Yeah, I and think he so, definitely knew Cayman. And they yeah. together, yeah. Hence his involvement. So thoughts on the track overall? I think he had a different job because we talked about this on when we did the movie review. It was a very different type of movie and a very different production being like mm-hmm. almost done in Mexico. Obviously, it's got a very different tone. He was clearly brought in based on Lethal Weapon, Die Hard type stuff. And I think he sort of tried to give a Bond spin based on that. But it's, I think a lot of it is lost in the movie behind sound effects and stuff. And it doesn't really come over in the movie mm-hmm. as well as it comes over on the soundtrack. And then we'll probably get into this a bit, but the soundtrack album is put together and sliced together in a very weird way. I think we'll talk about that when we get to some of the tracks. Yeah. Interestingly, two or three years ago, I actually heard, when I first started listening to podcasts, one of the first podcasts I actually listened to was a podcast of Cayman talking about how he put together the License to Kill score. And it was really interesting and gave me a new appreciation of what he'd done and how he'd done it. And I was trying to remember, I think it was on the Art of the Score podcast. Forgive me if I'm wrong and you're looking for it, but I do remember there was a movie score podcast that had an episode with him actually talking about how he approached License to Kill and the challenges he had. It was fascinating and really gave me a new appreciation of what he was trying to do and some of the limitations he was having to work with because they sort of expected him to bring Michael Kamen, but you had to work within the Bond framework and make it sound like Barry, but not sound like Barry. And, you know, and then he had all these, you know, oh, and we've got three songs that you've got to shoe on in here and there. and things so i think it's one that's worth reevaluating, and i certainly did that as i was actually listening to it over and over again prep for this episode oh yeah i agree with you wholeheartedly i think a lot of folks who don't spend a lot of time with a deep dive into music like you and i do before this i think i fell into that camp where i was like oh that's the one with michael Caine. that's sort of like the diehard soundtrack it's kind of forgettable but like you said i think it gets buried behind some very intense and action-filled scenes and if you just go back and listen to soundtrack separately you're like well, there's some really good music in here <laughs> that I just, I guess, didn't focus on when I listened to it. So, yeah, it's a real odd mixed bag. It's a great soundtrack in and of itself, but it doesn't come quite through in the film. No, it does It's very bizarre. It's very yeah, bizarre. it's very buried, as you said, within the action, within the sound effects, within the on-screen stuff. I don't know. Barry's stuff, and even to a lesser extent, you know, Bill Conti's and, and certainly George Martin's stuff really enhanced the on-screen action. I don't think this one really did in terms of mm. the overall effect. But again, it, when you listen to it isolated away from the visuals, I think it works a lot better than it did with the visuals. 100% agree. Yeah. Well, with that, let's talk about the title song specifically. 
like we know, it's Gladys Knight stepping up from something of the twilight of her career, just getting back on stage and really just giving a terrific belty performance. In my opinion, I'm a homer for this song. We all know this. But she almost didn't do it. Gladys Knight has some strong Christian beliefs and was not big on the title License to Kill. She thought it was a little too violent, a little too dark. The song gets rearranged to give License to Kill a bit more of a romantic meaning, mm-hmm. which is not easy to do. But I think given the pieces and parts they had, I think it works pretty well. Just my opinion, though. Again, total homer for the song. <laughs> but uh, A gentleman by the name of Dan Kleinman, who may sound familiar to you directed the license to kill music video again keep in mind that as of just a couple episodes ago we got into the 80s and mtv is big so there's an official music video dan Kleiman directs and that gets him the gig to replace maurice bender it is a very bondian music video i mean it is almost like a movie title sequence on its own as opposed to the video for the patty labelle song which you wouldn't know was connected to a bond movie at all, at all. right yeah. i remember when we did our rookie agents movie reviews agent delvin the dark web williams was like wait a minute <laughs> this is a bond song i know it from r&b but i didn't know it was a bond song i was like yeah it's weirdly distanced from bond it is isn't it yeah and it's the way it was promoted and stuff yes it's it's just really weirdly distanced but it's a wonderful song in my opinion but hey again i'm a homer for this so anyway yeah kleinman gets the gig to replace bender so here's a bizarre one for you alan have you ever watched the actual opening credit sequence <laughs> of license to kill are you referring to the fact that there is actually no credit for the single or the song? That's correct. <laughs> I didn't put the yeah, I think, we, I think we pointed that out in the review episode. But, uh, that is crazy. It is, yeah. Yeah, I actually I, went back and looked at my notes from the review episode. I usually do before I, you know, see if there's anything pertinent before I do these. And I noticed I'd got that in my notes. If we didn't mention it before, I definitely had it in my notes. That uh, yeah. <laughs> It's very strange. I think it's the only, only occasion, isn't it? Yeah. I don't think it ever happened before. I don't, think it ha- I don't think it's ever happened since. I wonder if it's just an oversight or maybe it, because there were production issues like we talked about, maybe things got a little rushed to meet deadlines. And <laughs> I've always wondered whether it was part of Gladys Knight's not being comfortable, being associated with... The violence of, and it is a particularly violent movie Could in terms of, in terms of the Bond franchise up until that point. So I do wonder if it might be part of that that she didn't want a name on it. It's a strong contender for a, a good reason. Well, speaking of Gladys, her song hit number six in the United Kingdom, but only number sixty nine on US R and B charts, which is interesting because, like I said, I know for a fact this is not a super well thought of song. I mean, nobody hates it, but it's just not a high ranker. For most of my American Bond friends. But having lived in Europe during this time, I know it's much more popular over there. I mean, for example, to this day, I stream an 80s pop radio station out of Germany as my go-to listen around the house. And this song gets played about once every other day. I'm like, it's so weird how it's very popular there, but just nobody cares about yeah. it over here. <laughs> but anyways, the Patti LaBelle song, however, did get number 79 in the U.S. and hit the top 10 in the R&B charts, but it didn't chart at all in the U.K. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, virtually unknown, in the, it's all virtually unknown in the U.K. It's interesting. Of course, more people are familiar with the Celine Dion version from 1992. She took it all the way to number four. But uh, yeah, it's definitely just an odd mix when it comes to the actual songs in the soundtrack the album hit number 17 in the uk and did not chart in the united states so it's just a bizarre split so the song license to kill it included an homage to goldfinger in the brass that ended up being a big payday for john barry anthony newley and leslie percussi 
which is interesting because they said they were looking for uh, that sound to kind of bring it back. They said, oh, we really like this little brass number from Goldfinger. Let's infuse that. I mean, we've got Gladys Knight, who is very in the mold uh, yeah. of Shirley Bassey. Let's leverage that. I think that's a wonderful idea. I don't think that the Goldfinger homage overpowers the track at all. But John Barry and the crew did not agree. <laughs> <laughs> but it is very, it is very recognizable. It yeah. is, it, it is there. But yeah, I personally don't think it overpowers. But they ended up getting a payday for it, saying, "Hey, that's our sound." And I think it mildly ruffled a few feathers over it. But I, I think at the end of the day, nobody was too upset about it. That's I think probably I if they'd have asked permission first rather than just doing it, they might have. Right. That whole production was uh, run by a gentleman named Narada Walden. And I managed to track down an interview he did for another documentary on YouTube, and I've got the audio for that. So let's get a quick listen to the insights from the producer Narada Walden himself on License to Kill. In the late 80s, the charts were dominated by dance and R&B. For A License to Kill, Bond hired the record producer behind chart-topping Whitney Houston. Fast talking, sharp dressing, Nada, Michael Walden. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, buy yourself some decent clothes. But even for 007, R&B wasn't an easy bedfellow. Walden solved the problem by studying earlier Bond songs, in particular Goldfinger. We took that line. We took that line and just built around it. Yes. Uh, the James Bond famous line. We just took, took the horn line and incorporated it in our song. And then we had to pay the writers a handsome share for it. Seeing the theme was so diva Gladys Knight without the pips. <laughs> Coming in, you know. I need, I need to hold on to your love. I need, I need, I that's all her. All that coming together is like, wow, something about to explode. Farewell to arms. That's Supreme Gladys. There are not a whole bunch that can really just kill you in the first go round, in the first thing. She's a prize fighter. She's a prize fighter. But Gladys Knight wasn't a fighter. A devout Christian, she was uncomfortable with a song called A License to Kill. Make a sound, and you're dead. I think she was nervous that she'd be associated with promoting violence or whatever. I think she's more a let's all hug type lady as opposed to let's all shoot each other type lady. How do you take License to Kill and make it warm and fuzzy? And the only way I could think was, I will hurt you if you hurt my man, someone I love. And I think she she could kind of get behind that. I think the license to kill is a bond ballad in the bassy mold. Gladys Knight, really, let's go with it. And it's, it's just such a powerful track. Those great divas, man, they are to be applauded. You gotta love them. You gotta, you gotta like touch them and, and kiss them and 
bring flowers and, and anything it takes to just get that sound, get them to relax, to get that sound. Because they know once they buy that microphone, it's, that performance is going to live for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 100 years. So it can be a little nerve-wracking. But the great ones, they love it. Like, bring it on. Hit, hit record. Put that button on. Put that button on. You know what I'm saying? Put that button on, man. All right, so that was Narada Walton with his interview for the documentary on License to Kill. I think all this talk around it, we should probably listen to it. What do you think, Alan? Sounds like a good idea. I don't have any cassettes here. Really? <laughs> I didn't get, so it's just the think, first one you bought on CD? I think this is the first one that was acquired on CD. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So let me just grab my CD here, make sure to pull the dust off. There we go. <laughs> I'll pop it right on it.
I, you know what? I'm gonna be completely honest with you. I had never noticed the Goldfinger reference in the song until preparing for this episode. <laughs> really? When I read it in the book, I was like, "Oh snap!" <laughs> <laughs> so did you see? Did you hear it when you went back and? Well, now I hear. I hear that. Bah, bah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, 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 Alan. What do you think, man? I, I you know what? Uh, you don't get to talk. I'm gonna talk for a second. I, I love. Come on, man. Come I, on. I love the way she just comes in holding that note. That bold note that she just comes in on from the very beginning. It, it just owns me, and I love every second of it. And now that I've gushed about it, you can go ahead and knock it down a peg or two. No, I'm not going to knock it down a peg or two. I mean, there's a couple of things about this. I'd put it in my top ten. I'm surprised oh. it's your, I'm surprised it's your number one because I thought the last soundtrack was like your absolute all-time favorite. So I thought probably Living Daylights would. But anyway, there's a few things about this song. It was interesting reading the book. They were talking about... Basically, they went to her house to record this. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Las did, Vegas? Yeah, yeah. She did like several takes during the day. And they were, you know, they were like, yeah, we've got enough here for a single. And then she said, okay, like, let's really perform it. And basically what you're hearing is that last take of the day, that what was the eighth or ninth take of the day, as they put out, is pretty much that last performance that she did at the end of the day with like a little mix here and there. That's pretty good. I mean, if that's an end of the day take of her putting all the pieces together and really belting it out you know in a living room i'm pretty impressed with that so Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. uh, like i said it's not one of my favorites i think it put it in the top half i don't know how many songs i've so far said i'd put in my top 10 it's more than 10 um (laughs) it's okay to love them all um but uh we'll come to some that i definitely not in my top 10 but yeah i definitely say it's in the top half of the bond movie songs again it's one that i'll sing along to and i know off air you and i have been joking but I'm still convinced that at one point she does sing License to Kilt and not License to Kill. I've heard people say that she says License to Kill and then puts a t- sound in to get her into the next verse. But it always comes over to, li- to me as License to Kilt, and I cannot unhear it as that. So um, I'm sorry, Gladys, that always takes the shine off slightly for me because I think she's mispronouncing things. And she probably isn't because she's much more professional than I am. Um <laughs> Now but, I'll never be able to unhear it. Thanks, Alan, <laughs> and our listeners. <laughs> so other than that, ode to Sean Connery and the license to wear a kilt, I think it's a good solid Bond song. I Like I said, it's my favorite theme song. Yes, last album, Living Daylights, is my favorite overall score. I just think Barry's amazing in it. But yeah, this is my number one. Although my two and three, it's like you could take one, two, and three and shake them up, and whichever one falls out, I'm okay with it. But don't stir them around, whatever you do. No, stir them. You got to shake them. That's right. My other ones are Goldfinger and one that we haven't gotten to yet, but it's next. There's your hint. Okay. Yeah. I put that, <laughs> I put that in my top three, too. So, okay. <laughs> well, with the theme song out of the way, let's go ahead and get into my three picks, which are compliments of Sharky. I should say that darker, though. Like compliments of Sharky. That was the worst Timothy Dalton. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> Hey, Timothy Dalton has the word Timothy Dalton accent in this movie at times. <laughs> Things are about to turn nasty. <laughs> I like that one. All right. First pick, which I think greatly upset my co-host at some point. <laughs> I picked track number four from the soundtrack, which is, as Alan mentioned earlier, oddly laid out. It doesn't go in really any kind of film order and some things seem tacked on to other things but they do weird things on these soundtracks sometimes anyway track four is called pam i really like the soft tones and the south of the border flavor that comes through on this one and you know what with that i'll just play it and we'll get alan's thoughts on the other side (laughs) 
Okay, Alan. I know you like this track because you got mad when I picked it. Yes, <laughs> this was this was going to be one of mine. I kept my intro comments short just so you could talk <laughs> more about it. That's how much I care about you. It's a pretty cool track, though, man. What do you? Yeah, think? Uh, to be honest, I don't have too much to say about it other than the fact I love it. Certainly, that opening part with the guitar, just the acoustic guitar and the snatches of the Bond theme, the Bond theme chord and mm-hmm. stuff before it wraps up, I think is really interesting. Again, it pulls different parts of the movie together into the track on the on the CD, so it. I've said before, I like tracks that really tell a story. Not many of them on this CD do because they slice and dice bits and pieces of the cues mm-hmm. together. This one to me doesn't really invoke Pam, the title. It doesn't really bring that character to mind to me. But I think it's a good background level set. It sort of gives the atmosphere of where the story takes place and the South American vibe to it. I'm not a big fan of the steel flamenco type guitar, but I think it really works here. An enjoyable track. I agree. I do love Spanish guitar. In fact, it's one of my sort of go-to listens when I'm relaxing is Spanish guitar music. And I like the way it was weaved in. And as soon as they played the Bond theme on Spanish guitar, I was like, ah, this track owns me. I'm done. (laughs) I'm done. (laughs) Well, with that, let's go ahead and move into my second pick. And there was absolutely positively no way I was letting this CD (laughs) go by without picking Dirty Love. It's Dirty Love. (laughs) I don't know what else to say, Al. Yeah, it's it's not quite for your eyes only level sleeves, but um, what was that one called? Um, something all night last, make it last all night, or something? make it last all night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's not quite to that level, but it was just such this unique piece. This is the song that gets played when they have the big fight in the bar. Yeah, I mean it's Bond. more source music on the jukebox or something in the bar, isn't it? If I remember, it is. Right. It is. That's what's the, the music they're fighting to when they're at the bar, and it is absolute source music. And by the way, I just have to give a shout out to the James Bond radio guys. They actually interviewed the guy who wrote and performed "Dirty Love" on their show. Oh, it's been about a year and a half, I'd say, since they did that one. So you may have to scroll back a bit on their feed if you want to know more about Dirty Love. But it's such a like 80s bar rock song. It's like gloriously generic. It's like the most gloriously generic song. Let me stop talking about it. I'm going to play it for you. Can't take it all 
That's Tim Fian. I want to give him credit. Tim Fian. Oh, it says Fian or Fian, but F E E H A N. Tim Fian with Dirty Love. That's oh my god! This is '80s as it could get. I think Alan, regale me with your opinion, sir. I think if you look up 1980s big hair power ballad in the dictionary, it just gives you a link to the YouTube video for this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I'm so uniquely entertained by this song, but I just am. <laughs> It oh. is of its time. Yeah. It is. It is. Yeah. I'll tell you that it, what it does is it fills me with regret, Alan. It fills me with regret because in 1999, I got married and our wedding song was Don't Want to Miss a Thing by Aerosmith. Why did I not think of <laughs> Why did it not occur? Yeah. You missed a chance there, didn't you? Or Make It Last All Night by Bill Connick. <laughs> but anyways, maybe next time. Maybe on the second marriage go around, I can get some Timothy and Dirty Love. Whoa, my goodness. With that, I'm going to go to my third pick, which, again, is an actual song, not just a score piece of music. You and do know is- this is the best of the soundtrack show, not the best of the songs tra- show. So, well, you know, um, <laughs> all right, I went a little crazy on picking <laughs> But I, I love If You Ask Me To by Patti LaBelle. 
Uh, I just think it's a wonderful track. I think the last soundtrack in this one, I think, are very indicative of the age where movie music was moving away from the soundtrack to having contemporary music. And now we're at the point where it has to be classic rock songs rather than a score. But yes. then it was contemporary pop songs or contemporary music in as, instead of the more orchestral scores. I really miss the having the orchestral scores on the movie. And I'll get off my old Giza's soapbox on that one. But I think these two movies are a definite sign of that turning point in the change in the way that movie music was looked at and as a result we got three songs in each in each point good point three songs off the last soundtrack three songs off this one as we mentioned at the top you know we had that guy joel sill the like an overall music director so like you said yeah times uh, were changing and good point they do classic rock stuff now i remember you and i sitting down with raymond on one episode talking about how there's just not a ton of recognizable themes yeah. Once yeah. you sort of get into the 90s, we were like, well, there's Jurassic Park and like Harry Potter's got a recognizable theme. Even think, yeah, the Avengers is sort of a theme there, but the, each of the individual characters don't really have themes. Yeah. Yeah. I was having this discussion with my brother, Jason, after our recording last time. And Jason was like, well, there's the Avengers. And I'm like, but I couldn't hum it for you right now. No. If I heard it, I'd go, oh, Avengers. But like, yeah. I can't hum it. Yeah. So I don't know. Anyways, yeah. You're off the soapbox. I'm on the soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, didn't, it didn't mean to take us down that rabbit hole, but I think no. these, these two movies are very much a signpost of the way that things were moving. And if we hadn't had that six-year hiatus, who knows what we would have got in the intervening part for the the last part of the That's a good, good question. Yeah, no, and I think that's a valid point. But yes, I did pick another actual produced song. I picked the other main song that they did. I picked "If You Ask Me To" by Patti LaBelle, which I just truly enjoy. Let's enjoy it together. Stay here in your arms forever 
I like that song. <laughs> I'm going to use my one of my favorite descriptions here. Again, wallpaper music for me. It's Ooh, a, it's a nice, no, it's a nice enough track. Um, it doesn't say James Bond to me. I mean, when I watch the end of the movie, it fits in with the end of the movie. But once I've stopped watching the movie, I think it's pretty forgettable. Um, you know, I think that's fair. I think it's a pleasant track to watch the credits on and it kind of makes you feel good. And I, and I like the song clearly more than you, but I get what you're saying. Taken individually, like we talked about a little earlier, it doesn't yeah. really have a Bond flavor. Well, it doesn't. And it's not really the sort of music I'd listen to personally anyway. So I don't know. It's, you know, if I heard it on in the background in the restaurant or something, I'd be like, oh, that's pleasant enough. But wouldn't make me want to rush out and buy the single show my age or download it or anything, you know, um, <laughs> whatever the kids do, <laughs> whatever the hip kids do these days. I don't know. Um, so it's nice enough. This one is not in my top 10. Yeah. Like I say, it's pleasant enough, but nothing mm-hmm. special. We are gearing up to do a episode of rogue agents where we're going to rack and stack all the non theme songs. So this will be in there. I'll be interested to see where it racks and stacks with the crew. So we'll keep an ear out for that. Listeners, there'll be an episode in the future where where we do that rack and stack. You know, will dirty love be if you ask me to? Well, we'll find out together. Yeah. But with that, I'm handing these reins over to Alan. Well, I think Jared should have really asked first, but since he once again picked a track that I wanted, I'm going to see him in hell. <laughs> no, no, Alan. Today's the first day of the rest of your <laughs> life. <laughs> oh wait, what's that shark doing down there? He's looking a bit peckish. So to keep him happy. I think we should start talking about some music. So let's talk about happier times and talk about James and Felix on the way to the church. A two-legged Felix. Yeah, a two-legged <laughs> Felix at this point. <laughs> this is track number six. Again, talking about them sort of taking cues from different parts of the movie and pushing them together on the CD. This is actually the first part of the movie. It literally starts with the gun barrel and then gets up to the point with James and Felix in the roles. That's about the first one minute, 30 seconds. And then the second half, jumps quite a ways ahead and is actually the score on the music cue for Sanchez's escape when the truck goes off the bridge and he's underwater and they do the underwater escape scene. All part of the first part of the movie, but not really quite James and Felix on the way to the church. As the title suggests, it's a mix of the two. But as I said, it opens with a gun barrel and the gun barrel with Vic Flick on the guitar. So you can't get a much better opening than that. So let's hit it.
And that's my ominous track for this week, too. <laughs> there we have it. The ominous track. It really does set the mood. I'll tell you what I did notice in that track and in the score overall, man. Cayman's not afraid to put the bomb theme in there. No, I and, think and, I, and I little bits and pieces too. It's yeah, really did, clever. Did, did I read this like it's 17 callbacks to the Bond mm-hmm. movie? Which is more than Doctor No. Doctor No like 13. I mean, this must be like one of the movies with the most use of the Bond theme in it. It really is. And I always think it's really clever how he sneaks them in there. Definitely. And I do love that gun barrel. Man, that gun barrel is excellent. And I didn't know until we did the research for this episode that it was the return of Vic Flick. So that would explain why it strikes a chord, no pun intended. In my heart. Yeah, very much so. It's a very different, I mean, it's not my perfect gun barrel. Actually, if you've listened to the review shows, Van and I have talked about this. I don't think any movie has the perfect gun barrel. I think we have that in our heads. And it's, mm-hmm. it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And from this, it's the Vic Flick. <laughs> yes. Guitar break on it. Makes it a really good gun barrel. I think we just you sit in the theater and you're so excited that the Bob movie's starting that Every gun barrel is your favorite gun barrel. <laughs> just like, At oh, that moment in time. At that moment in time, yeah. yeah very much so. Have you any thoughts on it? No, that me? was it. I really like the way that they weave in those little Bond things, and, and I love the return of Vic Flick, man. Okay. So with my next pick, again, we sort of, like we did with the opening of Pam and talked about the sort of the Spanish guitar, we'll go in a sort of a, a slightly different route here, unexpected route. With, again, what is basically source music, which is the background music that you hear at the the wedding reception of Felix and Stella. It's unsurprisingly called The Wedding Party. It's track number two on it. And I think it's got a very Jamaican vibe to it, which doesn't really fit with Miami and Florida Keys. But I think it's a cool track. I think it's a good call back to the early days of Bond and Bond's roots. So see what you think.
I think it's just a 1980s update version of Jump Up from Dr. No, and I love it. I think you're absolutely right. And I think I can't think of that without picturing that guy in like his guy formal is- suit. <laughs> yeah. And he's like in a formal suit. He's standing in a in the hot tub, pouring drinks, and like his suit's getting all wet. And I'm like, man, this is a heck of a party, man. Yeah. <laughs> Felix is working in the shed. What the hell? Yeah. I know, right? To me, it just it just evokes Dr. No. And, it uh, does. It does. And Postella's bar and Dr. Howe and all. Yeah. It, yeah. They should have brought back the guy with the crazy dance. Yes. That's, yeah. Yeah. They should have brought him back. Yeah. Yeah. So. But instead, they replaced him with guy in a full suit standing in a hot tub drinking yeah. champagne, pouring champagne. All very memorable. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's Dude. a fun track, though. It is a fun track. All right. Um, for number three, this is uh, my apologies. This is actually a long track. I said before, I like music that tells stories. This really, to me, is a mini version of the movie highlights. This is like the best bits of the movie put together. I think it's, I don't have it in front of me, but what is it, like nine minutes or something? It's its quite a long track. This is, yeah, I don't have it in front of me either, but we'll find out momentarily. <laughs> yeah, when we play it. <laughs> but again, they've put them in a weird order because it actually starts off with the queue at the Hemingway house where Bond resigns and gets his license revoked, the original title of the movie, which again is the title of this track. And then it moves to a bit that sort of really should fit in the James and Felix on the way to the church stuff because it's the capture of Sanchez's plane with the helicopter hook. And then it jumps to the underwater fight around the wave crest and Bond's escape with the water ski, which is an absolute awesome moment in the movie. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> so uh, again, it, and lots of invocation of the Bond theme uh, and a really exciting track. So again, I think this is the perfect movie to go with a highlight reel from the movie License to Kill. So uh, let's give it a roll. Thank you. 
So, thoughts on that one, Jared? You are very correct. It is very much a highlight reel. Great flavor of the whole soundtrack. Again, neat little weave-ins of the James Bond theme. I absolutely love the water ski escape that it ends up with. It's such a, just a Bondian tune for a Bondian moment. So yeah, I think that was worth the slightly over nine minute journey. Yeah. And I think this is the one that really illustrates what we were talking about at the beginning, that when you listen to the soundtrack away from the movie, you get a much better appreciation of how good the soundtrack actually is. Some of these cues just seemed lost when you actually watch the movie for some reason. Um, probably have to go back and rewatch it again, but just to listen to the music again um, and see how it works. But certainly my memory, I don't remember it being as powerful as it sounds just listening to the soundtrack itself. And I think this nine minute highlight reel is a good indication of that. Well, I wouldn't mind going back and watching it again because uh, I don't know if I mentioned this or not, but this is my number one James Bond film. <laughs> really? You've this never really it. mentioned that. Now, I, I might have been subtle about that but yes this is my favorite James <laughs> Bond movie so yes I do I do love it such an interesting thing that we've pointed out several times and you just said it, I want to underscore it again really good score but you don't feel it in the movie no <laughs> you, you feel it when it's separated it's really weird speaking of really weird let's get to our bonus track <laughs> <laughs> well it's gonna be because you picked it this time didn't you so. I, I did I did actually to, to be honest with you and you'd know better than me because as Alan will remind us momentarily he does Look for a lot of different tracks, variations of the theme to put together his playlist. And he'll remind us of that in a moment. But yeah, there's not a whole heck of a lot of creativity around this Bond theme. Kind of like no. All Time High was like that. There wasn't a whole lot of unique versions. But I did find one that I liked. I think it had a, a neat and slightly different sound. It's by a lady named Penny Chillin. If you ask me, that's a pretty cool name. So this is Penny Chillin's version of License to Kill.
Okay, so that's Penny Chillin's version. It's got a different sound to it. You can check her out on YouTube under Penny Chillin. Penny spelled like the word Penny and Chillin, like chilling without the G. So, Alan, too unique for you? Or no. just right? Just right. As you mentioned, there are not a lot of people doing different versions of License to Kill out there. So this is actually one of the few people who took a creative risk with it and tried to do something slightly different. And I think it works. It's not that weird. It's not that far out. It is an interesting, different take on it that works for me. Yeah. It's not like the one the other week where I was like, oh, I love that group and I got to go find out more about (laughs) the the group, but, uh, or or what this, this young lady does. But I'm quite happy to listen to this version. Yeah. And she doesn't say kilt. (laughs) She does not say kilt. (laughs) (laughs) Now you got me racking my brain. What was the name of that group? It was like take five, tape five. Tape five. Tape five. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, They were quite good. Yeah. So good job, Penny Chillin. I think I like the phrase you, she took a creative risk and I think it paid off. Very cool, unique sound. Yeah. Speaking of different versions. If you want to hear how others tackled a different take on the Bond theme, uh, we've put together, as Jared mentioned, a playlist on YouTube. Just search for Bond Music 6 of the Best and you can find stuff there or you can find it from the link that we'll put in the show notes. And as also Jared mentioned, actually most of the License to Kill tracks out there are pretty much straight covers of the Gladys Knight version. It was really difficult trying to find something a little different. And also finding versions of a song called License to Kill was not helped by the fact that there are actually several different songs out there, including a rap track, several metal tracks, and a song by some dude called Bob Dylan, all called License to Kill. So if you search for License to Kill, you get a lot of stuff that is not covers of a Bond song. It took a lot of searching to find not a lot, but uh, what we did find is on the YouTube playlist link, and as I said, the link will be in the show notes, or you can search for Bond Music 6 of the Best, and you will episode 10, and you will find the link there. Awesome. So I hope you guys check that out. Alan does a lot of hunting and finding for you. So take advantage of that. And that's going to bring us to the end of this episode of Bond Music 6 The Best. If you have a question or a comment, you can email us at ohmspod at outlook.com or comment on Twitter at ohmspod. Don't forget to subscribe to On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. If you can leave a rating and a review, that would be great. Or if you'd like to chat with us personally on social media, I can be found at Yard Sale Artist, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and now Parlor. That's a thing. Uh, <laughs> okay. Is that what the hip kids are using these days? That's apparently. So yeah, at Yard Sale Artist on all four of those, or check out my YouTube channel. If you search Yard Sale Artist, you will find me either drawing pictures or talking about yard sale finds. What about you, Alan? Where can they find you? Well, for Bond stuff, you can find me on Twitter at Bond Lexicon and Tumblr and Instagram at James Bond Lexicon. And this week, I'm actually going to do a little plug. We have just redesigned, updated the JamesBondLexicon.online website, which includes now a listing of all the 28 different incarnations of 007 we found researching the Bond Lexicon project, a Bond history timeline. And we've just started putting together plot summaries of all Bond's adventures. So far, the novels and the short stories are up there. And the plot summaries for all the movies and TV shows and everything else will be coming. There is, of course, links to all the previous six of the best episodes. Check out the website. It is jamesbondlexicon.online. And as always, we will pass the baton to White Rocket founder and OHMS pod co-host, Van Allen Plexico, to thank our generous patrons who support all our White Rocket endeavors. 
we have to thank Matthew Flowers, Carl Von Drunker, Samuel Salvatore, and Christopher Burleson, as well as Phil Amthor, Ben Spooner, Bart Lindsay, Bradley Blackman, William Glenn Matthews, Gary Grant, Brian Gray, Willie Carden, Tom Anderson, Susan Trawick, Logan Chilton, Stephen Thompson, Chris Usher, Steve Trawick, and Richard Stevens. And then, of course, we got William Morgan, Johnny Caldwell, Emmanuel Seaman, WDE Richie, Winston Body, Clinton Stewart, and Christopher Stewart. Hey, guys. Mickey B, Phil Davis, Joshua Corbett, John Otsuki, Preston Settle, Daniel Odom, AU4. Falling up Alchemist, Kevin Smith, Clarence Alford, Will Summerford, David Hegler, Theodore Gary, Reynolds Wolf, Joel Beckham, Valiant Hermes, Jacob and Robin Fleming, Clay Henson, Ann Kangian, Catherine England, George Gaston, John McCune, David Evers, Timothy, Steve Harlan, Dan Thompson, Wes Atkinson, and Rich Reimer. Then we have Sarah Hines, Darius Benton, a couple of new folks welcome aboard, Rob Morgan, Blake Heron, Hugh Anderson, Stephen Houston, Cato the Barner, Danny Flack, Papa Todd, Russell Milling, Kevin Canoy, Don Zederman, Ross, Lane Middleton, Shannon Butson, Randall Walker, Shane Bailey, Chris Thrash, Tony Perry, Alex Wynn, Josh Teal, David Simpson, Earl Ricks, Mike Finley, and C.T. Wayne. And finally, good old Jeremy Minton, Wardam Wade, Spanky, J.W. Rice, Jason Albrecht, Mitch Vigicana, Mick Vigicana, not Mitch, Russell Souther, I've said these names a million times and I still mess them up, <laughs> Paul Bankson, Joseph Iliff, Justin Bean, Kevin Mahan, Stephen Wyatt. See, if you fast forward through this, you miss all the fun. Trevor Johnson, Auburn Elvis, Robert Drain, Brandon Smith, Royce Alvarez, Thomas Brinson, David Smiley, Matthew Wagstaff, Donnie Reynolds, Wade Carson, Ivor Evans, John Zavachin, Michael Morton, Lawrence Kane, Darren Pyle. I'm sure nobody fast forwards through it. You want to hear all my wacky mispronunciations. Chris Camo, Ben Amos, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Patrick Williams, Stephen Schuster, James Taylor, John Stubbs, Kenneth Brent Rains, Nicholas Craig, Joseph A. Miller, Mark Squire, Chris Brant Rumble, our one-time and anonymous donors. And we thank you all. We really appreciate you. We couldn't do it literally without you. Visit www.plexico.net, P-L-E-X-I-C-O.net to become a member and join the fun. All right. Thank you to all those Patreon members. We really appreciate it. And we did get a feedback. It's kind of for the entire network, but they do mention the show. This is off of iTunes. And I just want to say thanks to JBR Agent Frank, who gave us a five-star rating and said, I always get a kick out of the Rookie and Rogue Agent podcast. I also appreciate the straight reviews that Van and Alan do of the films. The music episodes are my second favorite part of the podcast behind Rookie and Rogue Agents. This JVR guy, he's my kind of guy. (laughs) But thank you, JVR Frank. I'm glad you're enjoying our entire catalog of podcasts. And thanks for being here with us, man. Yeah, thank you. That's great to get any and all feedback. I would love to hear more. So uh, please give us feedback on Twitter or iTunes reviews are always helpful. Yeah. And we will read them right here on the show. So just like we did for JBR Frank. So thanks, Frank. And back to Alan. So thanks for joining us for this episode. This episode's tracks are from the 1989 License to Kill soundtrack CD. As always, we'd like to remind you to legally purchase your Bond music via official download channels, CD or vinyl or whatever format you like. But please support the Bond creative community. And we will be back quicker than five years time (laughs) with six of the best from Goldmine. And boy, are we going to have some stuff to talk about with that soundtrack. Man, it's got a great title song. Join us for the next episode of Goldmine. One music, six of the best will return.
quick pause in the show. I've heard it pronounced both ways. I think it's Binder. I tend to pronounce it Binder. Binder? Okay, I've heard it both ways. I don't know. But um, I, I think you're right, actually. I think it is Binder, yeah. Ah, and it's, right. I think it's either Maurice Binder or Morris Binder. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. Take, take your pick. Oh, all right, good old MB. We love MB. Hang on. There's a car alarm going off outside. Can you hear it? No. You're good. Okay. Hate car alarms. It's not yours, is it? <laughs> I am not because they're both in the garage. So. I wouldn't know what mine sounded like, to be honest. <laughs> you missed it. My favorite line. What's your favorite line? License to kilt. <laughs> <laughs> Even that license to kilt. 